When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. Hi, this is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So the accounting business is changing. We have a lot of people leaving the accounting profession, very few people coming in. We have technology taking over from accountants. So we, we've got all these changes going on. How... How are we going to adjust to that? How are we going to deal with what the firm of the future? Because the firm of the future is coming, whether we like it or not. So how are we going to do that? And to discuss all of these things in a very short period of time, we have uh, my, my very good friend, Martin Bissett, who is uh, well known in the accounting industry, particularly in, um, in Europe in the UK, um, but also here in the US, very, very well-known uh, public figure in the accounting profession, and uh, very glad to have you with us, Martin. Um, thank you very much for the opportunity. I appreciate it. So if you would, just a little, little of your background and, and basically what you're trying to do these days. Yeah, sure. Well, when you have a name like Martin Bissett, Tom, you're kind of known as Malcolm Bishop a lot. That's what people hear. You say Martin Bissett, they hear Malcolm Bissett. And I think vacuum cleaner. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's right. Straight away, the Bissell vacuum cleaner, <laughs> immediately. Okay, so generally, you know, when people say, that Malcolm Bishop's good, and who am I to get in the way of a good rumor, right? So a lot of people have known me in the U.S. The U.S. audience will know me as author, speaker, consultant guy, um, 25 years of, of that experience. Um, but more recently, and accelerated by the COVID pandemic, uh, I move to a different model, which is far more investor and board level advisor of accounting and fintech organizations. So in the BISIC group, Tom, we have a, a mixture of organizations that I'm merely invested in, some organizations that are not mine, but I have a managerial responsibility for, and some organizations that are mine, and I do my best to let other people uh, run them much better than I could run them. And so all of those serve the accounting profession. That's what they all have in common. Um, and my world, although I'm not a CPA, and I never will be a CPA, uh, my world has revolved around CPAs since the late 1990s. Awesome. So thank you. So um, so let's just get right into it, uh, Martin. You're, you're not shy and neither am I. So um, let, let's talk about what's going on. First of all, let's kind of set the stage. What's going on in the accounting profession? Because what we do know is we have uh, a lot of accountants leaving and they're leaving earlier than they thought they were going to leave because the pandemic said, I don't want to go through this anymore. In the U.S., a lot of it's because we've had five major tax law changes in the last, you know, three or three or four years. 
um, you know, in the UK, you've got, you, you've got this constant idea of um, we're going to go to autom automation and, and we'd never really get there, right? And there's all this promise and then they keep moving the target, right? So um, lots going on. A lot of people leaving, not a lot of people coming in. So, uh, so what do you see, what do you see down the road? What, what do you think is going to happen over the next three to five years? Well, I think the, the biggest clarion call for accounting firms is where the CPAs are leaving. They're not leaving and becoming traffic wardens. They're not leaving and becoming machine operators. They're leaving for industry. Right. They're leaving to become CFOs in industry because industry pays better, because industry makes more money, because industry's got a career pathway, because industry actually values you, because industry doesn't work on six-minute increments, because, because, because. And all of these things happen, and so it's just a better way of life. For so the accountants. so, so this, is, this is a big change. I mean, I remember it wasn't that long ago. In my lifetime, it was not long ago. Maybe it was that long ago where industry, maybe you'd get a bump when you went to industry, but then you kind of got stuck there. Okay. It was like, it was almost like going and being a college professor. You, you get a nice beginning yeah. salary, but then it never goes up. And, right. and now that seems to have flipped where you're getting bigger raises in industry and the starting salaries and then the increasing salaries seem to be better in industry than they are in the public accounting firms. Why is that? Because technology has enabled it. So if you think about it historically, if you went in with that great starting salary and got tenure, for example, in professor analogy, then what was happening is that that business owner or that business organization that was paying for that accountant to do that was still reliant on sets of accounts being produced by either very, let's say, um, early software or by the accountant at right. year end. And, and therefore the management accounting process wasn't anything like as real time as it is now. And now that we have technology that gives us real time information, real time reporting, real time forecasting that we can update in a second, and it pulls out reports and statistics analysis, it, it gives the accountant far more ways to demonstrate their value to the business owner. So as such, there can be a ladder for them to climb because they are able to put more and more value into the business the more and more information they grab hold of. So so why hasn't the uh, public accounting profession kept up? So, I mean, if you're seeing all that technology used in the big companies and in industry, and, and then we also see, of course, a lot of the graduates that would normally go into accounting are going into technology. They're going to industry right from the beginning. They're not even getting yeah. into accounting, yeah. right? They're going straight to technology because Technology companies pay two, three times as much right, right. out of school um, with basically the same basic acumen, right? Because you don't actually know how to do anything coming out of college. So it's just an acumen, right? Okay, so this is kind of how I think. And it works well in accounting. It works well in engineering. works really well in technology. Um, so, so how come accountants haven't caught up? Why are we still doing manual data entry? Why are we still doing manual bookkeeping? Why are we still doing all this stuff when everybody else is leapfrogged forward? Because speaking generally rather than individually, we're not commercially minded. The business owner is thinking about sales, marketing, collections, operations, admin, logistics, and so on. Get me some information there. Show me how to increase efficiencies by 10% over there. How do we get a bulk uh, order into our suppliers to cut down on costs here? And all that can happen, whereas the, the CPA in general, of course, there are exceptions. The CPA owns a job and happens to be in business as a result of owning that job, but doesn't have a sales department. You don't, you don't go to a seven-figure firm, let's say a $1.5 million 
CPA firm and see the sales department over there and the marketing department over there. And brand discussions happening in meeting room A. You know, that doesn't happen because that's not what they were brought up to understand they did for a living. That's not the way any of the regulatory bodies have encouraged them to evolve. They are selling time for money. You know, and we can think of another profession that does that. So when you're selling time for money, then you are essentially at the mercy of the deadline and the client request. So if you are a CPA firm and your job is largely to keep your clients compliant and keep them out of the grasps of the IRS um, or any particular late filing deadlines or anything like that, then you, you really don't add a lot of value. You're there as a necessary evil to the client that employs you. That's why so often it comes down to price because the client doesn't differentiate between A and B CPA firm. It's like, I gotta have one. Which one's cheaper? Which one's closer? Which one do I like the look of more? And until the CPA firm decides to develop relationships, decides to develop a commercial value proposition, decides to get a message to market which clearly differentiates them in the positive from their competition, it goes like that forever. So how do you see things changing? In other words, what will, I mean, in the short run, with fewer CPAs, we would expect that CPAs will be in the driver's seat, a lot like employees are right now. Right. Employees are in the driver's seat because there's a shortage of employees, but we know that won't last forever. And the same no. thing will happen with CPAs is that there won't be a shortage because technology will do a lot of what CPAs do. In the short run, though, it would seem to me like there's going to be a greater demand and a smaller supply. So you're going to actually see inflationary pressures on CPA prices. Eventually, though, where do you see this going? Where what will CPAs have to do in order to compete and actually? make some decent money and hire decent people. I'm not entirely convinced they will compete, Tom. I think we will see two very clear classifications of accounting firm um, along the lines that the ownership decide they're going to be. There'll be accounting practices, the traditional model, mm -hmm. and accounting businesses, the commercial model. Now, the best explanation I've ever seen of this is not mine. It's from a guy called Ron Baker, who should be very well known to uh, our very audience. Well, very well known. And in 2003, on Jay Wiley and Sons, Ron produced a book with Paul Dunn called The Firm of the Future. And in there, around about page 40-something, <laughs> there is this fantastic graphic that uh, defines two types of firms. The professional service firm, the one we know now, and the professional knowledge firm. In the professional service firm, capacity is based on number of recoverable hours, and number of bums on seats we can we can put, and how many bums on seats can produce how many recoverable hours at what hourly rate, and there is our income cap right there. There's our revenue cap right there. Okay, and so therefore, that's simply a multiplication, sorry, uh, an addition. You know, how many hours have I got to sell? How many people can I have sell those hours? And it's a 33-33-33 model in terms of uh, fixed cost. Uh, and, right, uh, exactly. Third, a third, a third. Yep. Third, a third, a third. So then Ron then said, ah, those firms aren't going to die out like everyone predicts. They're going to not gonna become extinct. There'll always be a role for them somewhere. Someone will always kick down their worst clients to that kind of a firm right. all the time. Right. So if, you, if all you want to do is survive or even make a living, maybe you want to make a living. If that's the extent of your ambition, professional service firm model is the way for you, and you'll get your 60 to 80 grand a year 
and you will not enjoy the work and you will work far too long and your quality of life will suffer, but you won't die. But if you want to thrive, if surviving is no good for you and you want to thrive, Ron argues, then the firm of the future is the professional knowledge firm. And how that differs is that that doesn't work on efficiencies, that works on effectiveness. And that doesn't work on capacity, that works on what they what he called capital, intellectual, social, and technological capital, meaning what do we know how to do and how do we sell it, intellectual capital? Who do we know who can help us sell these and, and, and network and refer for us? There's our social capital. And then what technology can we employ in the practice, in our workflows, in our pricing, in our onboarding, in our accounts production general ledger? There is technological capital. And he says that when you multiply those capitals by how effective you are in delivering those capitals, and then multiply it again by pricing, not based on third or third or third model, but pricing based on the purpose for working with the clients in the first place. What are we trying to achieve here, Phil? We're trying to get you to your beach house here at 55? Are we trying to get, keep walls from the door? What's the reason for us working together? It's got to be beyond compliance. So pricing on purpose. So multiply the capitals, the different types of capitals, by the effectiveness of delivering them, by the pricing on purpose. Ta-da! A professional knowledge firm is born, and it's an evolution from a professional service firm. That's Ron's take, and it beats every other take I've heard on the market. So, okay, so so how do we get? So how do CPAs get there? So let's say, I mean, because CPAs don't change overnight. Um, no. you're, you're not going to change uh, by yourself, and reading a book is probably not going to change. You know, it may not. It, it could. I mean, I've seen yep. pe you know people change reading Rich Dad Poor Dad, for example, um, and they said, "Oh, it's completely changed." Like, well, no, it gave you the idea of how you need to change your life, right? And that's all we're talking about here. So, what is it that C What direction do CPAs go? What dire direction do accountants go in order to, um, as as I say, you know, the way the way you, the way you get the better. Um, staff members, which is what everybody wants right now, is um, you, you, what you have to do is you have to go, okay, I need to pay more because I've got to compete. And if I'm going to pay more, I'm going to have to charge more. Okay. But if I'm going to charge more, I have to do more. So you look at, to me, it comes down to the client. What, like you said, what do the clients want? What do they need? And how are we going to actually do that? So how do people Learn that. Right. So what you've described there, Tom, is a logical set of triggers that I would 100% agree with. And I think CPAs go through that thought process. I'm not making enough. Therefore, I'm not charging enough. Therefore, if I, I, I have to charge more if I want to pay more, if I want to get more, and that kind of thing. And that's a logical process. But then fear kicks in in a CPA. A CPA is particularly susceptible to fear. And a fear kicks in that whilst they know that that is the process. They don't have the, um, let's say, let's say guts to, to, to actually execute it in the first instance, okay? So logic makes them think, but emotion makes them act. And so what I think happens is that they have enough of not having enough. And they get to a point where they've had enough. One client too many complains. One client too big leaves. One staff member too important resigns. And there's a trigger point. There's a straw that breaks the camel's back. And they one night, 
they've had enough of not having enough resource, not having enough profitability, not having enough time at home, whatever the thing is, they haven't got enough of it and they've had enough of that. And it's only then I find that anything truly happens. We can construct logical models forever sure, that make sure, the commercial case for it, but it's the emotion of the individual that goes home, you know, somewhere on the somewhere between anger and tears, and goes, I cannot carry on as I am. Something has got to change. I think you've got a, a radio personality over there, Dave Ramsey, who says uh, on personal finance that you start to get out of debt and you get sick and tired of being sick and tired. Very similar concept, very similar principle. And so I think, I think that's the change. And then what happens is the process you described, Tom. Then it becomes, right, I've got to pay more. Okay, to pay more, I've got to charge more. Okay, which means my pricing has to change. Okay, how the hell do I change my pricing? And then we start to see a big spike on pricing webinar attendance on that basis, well, you know. Yeah, and I understand that. And, and, and yes, I mean, for most CPAs, they literally could just, double their prices overnight and they'd still be undercharging. Okay. And, and I get that part of that, I think is that, uh, you know, as I, you and I discussed before CPA stands for uh, cheapest person anywhere. Right. Mm. And, and I've, I've seen that I've actually saw it in action. I was at a luggage store. This is Ramoa luggage, which I think is the best luggage in the world. It's also the most expensive luggage in the world. And wow. I'm in there cause I love just shopping for luggage. Cause like you, I travel a lot. And uh, I have a lot of, probably have one of everything of Ramoa's, right? And I'm in there and there's this, this couple shopping and they're shopping for their daughter for a graduation present from college. And, wow. and, and, and the husband keeps saying, no, no, no. And, and I just, I, I, I asked the salesperson, I said, can I step in? I'm a customer. And can I explain why this is so good and why this is such a good investment? Because it will last you forever, last your daughter forever. She'll never have to buy another piece of luggage, blah, 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 blah. The guy says, well, you know, I'm a CPA. And I'm going, bingo. That's it. And the problem is, is that if we won't pay, if we don't value our services, nobody else will. Okay, right. if we don't value right. what we do, nobody else will. But why don't we right. value services? Probably because we don't hire other service professionals to do it. But on top of that, I don't think we value the knowledge we have. And I don't even think we understand the knowledge we have. And so for me, a, a lot of the problem I see, for example, in the continuing professional education area in the CPA industry is, first of all, it's boring. Second of all, the goal is cheapest CPA pos CPE possible because it's bad anyway. I might as well get it for free, right? And so all I'm trying to do is get my 40 hours, which is what I need every year as, as a US CPA. But what if we actually wanted to learn this stuff? What, yeah. what, what if we actually wanted to, to gain confidence in what we do? What we have to do is we actually have to have continuing education, which is something that you and I are working on. We have to have continuing education that, first of all, it's, it's interesting. It's fun. It's something that, oh, I want to learn. People like to learn. I think CPAs love to learn. I think they just have horrible, horrible instructors. And I think people, because the problem in the CPA profession from an education standpoint is, and now I'm on my soapbox here, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a little, I'm a little adamant about this because people believe if I know something, then, then I'm qualified to teach it. And that is baloney, okay? You've got to be, you, you, let's say you have 100 people in the audience for an hour. That is 100 hours of professional time, okay? And let's say that the average billing rate in that audience is $500 an hour. That's mm -hmm. your, your presentation had better be worth $500,000 in, in my view. 
it better be worth $500,000 because if it's not, you're cheating the people in your audience. Okay. Right. So, so to me, why are we still, why are we still doing PowerPoint slides? Why are we still reading PowerPoint slides? Why are we still teaching something I can read in a book? The, the, the benefit, and I've been teaching seminars like you have for years and years and years. Mm. Um, and it's, it, there are certain things you can get at a seminar you can't get anywhere else. It's not information. It's transformation. It goes to your emotional point that you're making here is you should be going to continuing education to transform yourself, not to get information. Read that in a book. Go, go online. Get, you know, get, get your free CPE and, and get it online. Go read the internal revenue code, do whatever you need to do for the information. But if you want what, when, if you want real transformation, you got to do something like, this is why we teach this. We've got this, this seminar coming up uh, November 14th through 16th. We have Jody Paydar speaking yes. on the future yes. of the accounting industry. We yes. have, we have Doug Laudmill talking about how do you use trusts uh, to combine the estate planning, income tax planning, and asset and asset protection, all using trust. How do you combine the things? So actually things that are valuable to your clients, okay, rather than rather than the information that they expect you to know anyway. Yes. Yeah, well, the, 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 thing, the thing we've got to understand right at the heart of this, Tom, is that you don't find too many people becoming CPAs who wanted a career in sales and marketing. That's correct. Okay. They become CPAs for a number of reasons. Good with numbers, want to help people, don't want to be in sales and marketing. Security. That's a reason. So, yeah. So you are, not, you, you are not giving birth as a profession to a bunch of commercially minded people. You're not giving birth to a bunch of relentlessly ambitious people. You are not giving birth to anything other than well, it's okay so far. We'll just keep on steady as our course as we go. That's about it. That's about it. So when you're saying why, well, why isn't the firm this? Why isn't the firm that? It's comparative to a metric of a normal commercial organization. The CPA firm isn't comparative. It doesn't run at the same speed as an entrepreneur. It doesn't think and act at the same speed as an entrepreneur. And as such, we have to temper organize, uh, our, our expectations to the speed of understanding and change and learning of the CPA profession. One of the biggest mistakes I made, Tom, in the early days is I taught at the speed of my own understanding of the topic. And I lost my audience because what I had to do and what I should be doing as a good teacher is teach at the speed of understanding of my audience, which might feel a bit too slow for me, but it's the right speed for them. And that's who I'm serving. I'm not serving myself. So I think what we have to understand is, that, is, is where this comes from. So at no point is an accountant taught as part of their qualification, here's how to price. At no point is an accountant in their qualification taught, here's how to develop a value proposition, a marketing strategy, and its attendant tactics. Okay, that doesn't come out. So when they do go into practice or set up on their own or whatever they choose to do, then they simply understand the practice of accountancy. And what is the way in which a firm grows? By referral. So there's not even a sales process that is well-defined in the organization either. So basically, I've long called this what I call the gross recurring fee model. It's a double-edged sword because on the one side of the sword, it provides that security because recurring fees come in, retention is high, and okay, profitability ain't the greatest, but it's security. The, type, the personality type likes that. Yeah, I'll have that. But on the other side of the sword is it's an anesthetic. 
Mm. And it inoculates you against ever wanting to be ambitious or growth-minded. Because because this work comes in, and because I don't have to knock doors down to make it happen, and I don't have to face rejection like a sales professional would do to make it happen, I don't ever get anywhere because I don't take big risks. I don't ever expose myself to going beyond what I already know. And it's safety first. Yeah. So, so here's an interesting one. So, so we've got a, a, another podcast that everybody should be, be watching um, down the road, uh, Stacy Hall. And what, what we're talking about in that podcast is not getting out of your comfort zone and actually selling from your comfort zone. So I, I, I would like to say that, yes, we don't get into it because we like sales and marketing, but we think of sales and marketing as so far outside our comfort zone right. um, that w- we can't possibly do it. So I look at sales and marketing as if, if we really have a, a service that is that people need. Okay. If we don't have a service people need, we should not be in business, period. Right. If we have a service people need, it's our obligation to educate them about how to uh, buy our service. Yes. That's what, to me, that's what sales does. So for example, we, we're, I, I came across as a sales uh, training company called Sandler Sales Institute, which is very much about helping people buy, not selling. And right. I'm going, I'm good at helping people buy. I, I want to help people dot, buy. I don't have any problem with that. Now I'm, I'm not uncomfortable selling to begin with, but, but helping people buy Oh, I can do that. I'd rather do the Nordstrom version of selling, yes. which is, yep. okay, let's dress, you know, I mean, I, I, I go in and Nordstrom's changed a little bit. Back in the day when Nordstrom's was really Nordstrom's, I'd look for the best dressed young man. And because I want somebody who knows how, you know, is really dressed well, because I'm not, you know, naturally good at that. I need professional help. And, and they would say, what are you looking for? How, how, how can I help you? There was no, it was not pushy in any way, shape or form. And that's what made Nordstrom big. That's what made Nordstrom Nordstrom's. And there's no reason that we can't do the same thing, but a lot of it is just changing our mindset. And I think you said it about, we really have to think of ourselves as business owners who happen to be CPAs entrepreneurs who happen to be CPAs rather than the CPAs who happen to be entrepreneurs. And I think that the CPAs who, who happen to own their own job are, are really, yes. they're just going to stay there. And, and that's, fine. Yeah, that's fine. Like you said, there's a place for them, but yes. I think that there's, I think there's more and more, particularly young people coming into the profession. Um, we actually have a discount at our conference, $500 discount for people who came to the profession after 2017, because okay. we want to encourage, because I think the younger generation is looking at this, I, I look at our members of our network. So we have 60 some odd members of our network. I would say uh, there's probably three that are over 50 and okay. most of them are under 40. And, right. and, and I, think that's, I think that's good because what we look for is oh, yeah. we, want, we want in our network, we want entrepreneurs who happen to be CPAs, not the other way around. And if we can shift the way we think about that, but I think sometimes I, again, I think then we need transformational education and it's very hard to find that in the CPA profession. That's right. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said there, Tom. So I'm going to go into three major points. Here's the evidence of change. Okay. Evidence of change. Number one, we're recording this the day after I went to a major accounting conference here in the UK. 
And here's a major delineation in the audience. Because we say CPA, or over here we would just simply say accountant. And that means everyone from a back bedroom tax preparer through to KPMG. Okay, one term to cover that entire range, accountants. But that is such a broad range. Okay, at this conference, the seven, eight figure firm, curmudgeon set of firm, you would be able to spot them because they're in suits and ties and match, um, matching pocket squares with the cufflinks. Okay, the tech enabled, smaller six figure firm, maybe even five figure firm, startup, you can spot them. They're in hipster beards and hoodies. Okay, they don't look like the curmudgeons do. Okay, and they're also not, um, you know, fifty-five and male either. So the other, the other thing to bear in mind is that that is where that's going. So here's a second statistic: that conference. This is the first conference I've ever been to in all the conferences I've done that I've known this. The speaker program was fifty-four percent female. I have never known female-dominated, that wasn't supposed to be a women's conference, a female-dominated accounting conference, general accounting conference. There's a change. Not only do we have enough female leadership to allow that, but we have enough expertise to warrant putting them on the stage ahead of the blokes, the guys, you know, use a very English term, I said blokes there, the guys, you know. So on that basis, there's two very clear changes. The next gen or the new gen of accounting firm owners don't look like the last ones do. And the leadership aren't all the pale male and stales anymore either. So there's the two things. The pale male thing is I like that one. I, I, I've got to remember that one, pale male stales. Pale male stales, yeah. It's one we've used for years over here. Pale male and stales to, to sum up the profession. So here's the third thing. It's the point you made, Tom. If we can get our head around being commercial, saying we're actually trying to grow a business here, not sell whatever time we've got available for whatever hourly rate we can get. If we can do that. And if we know that we haven't had a sales education and we're not well attuned to that type of behavior anyway, we don't want to be sales-y, okay? And if we can get through that, and if then we can understand that we need to attract, so pull rather right. than push, exactly. and we can get that through our heads, and then we can reclassify ourselves in our minds as educators, and our job is to educate the market as to why their future is better served working with us than wherever they currently are, now we've turned a corner, and here's a story, a quick story of a firm who did this. I was working with a firm on a consultancy basis hmm, four and a half, five years ago, and they were trying to get their message right. So not, it's not a strap line, not, not like a catchy kind of phrase, but their actual message to market. What are we trying to tell people other than we're accountants? What are we trying to say? And I kept asking them to give me the reasons why I, as a business owner, would move from my perfectly good accountant across to them for any reason other than price. Okay? And they kept rehashing the same old cliches because they couldn't think outside of those cliches. So, oh, uh, partner-led service, Martin. Uh, uh, tax specialism, Martin. Uh, 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 car parking on site, Martin. Features and benefits. Yeah, yeah, features and benefits, exactly. So they did that. And I kept saying, so what? So what? So what? And I'm dealing with a managing partner who's such a gentle soul, a wonderful, wonderful person. But I can annoy anybody. And he was getting more and more frustrated because I kept, no matter what he said, I was going, so what? Who cares? And eventually he lost his patience, which was the best thing that ever happened. And he slammed his fist down on the table and he went, damn it, Martin. We give people the business they need so that they can have the life they want. There you go. And I said, 
I said, what did you just say? And he went, oh. And just as he went, oh, his whole team went, oh. And Tom, they weave that in to yeah. every piece of communication, with the, not just the website, every piece of communication with the client from then on in. If it was about tax, it were, an email communication would read like this. To get the business you need to have the life you want, your tax affairs have got to be in order. And we've got a legislative change coming up. So get, you know, and then if it was about, I don't know, savings and investments or pensions or something, you know, to get the business you need to get the life you want, there's got to be an employer pension scheme. Here. There's got to be a Roth, you know, or whatever in, the, in, in place. So whatever it was that they wanted to communicate with the clients about, or indeed the prospective clients about, it was always on the basis of, this thing that we're asking you to do is in order to get the business you need because it's going to give you the life you want. And that's why you work with us. And that was a beautiful breakthrough where the educator emerged from the accountant. That's, that's awesome. So um, as we wrap up here, Martin, uh, could you give our listeners maybe three things that they could do that, that maybe actionable items that they could actually take and say, okay, I need to do this, this, and this. If I want to get, you know, get to that different mindset, get to that different firm. Absolutely. Okay. Thing number one, I want the listeners of this podcast to go digging into their history, their personal career history, or into their firm's history, whatever's appropriate, and find the proof of where this firm has gone over and above the call of duty for their clients. What have they done? Did they keep the walls from the door? Did they save those jobs? You know, did they did they come up with a forecast that got the venture capital funding that kept these guys in business? Did they keep the lights on? Did they get a business owner to their eventual successful exit? What occurred? What can you prove? Not a claim, not a testimonial. What can you prove that you or your firm have done? Okay, and then sit down with somebody in your firm who can record information and tell that story. Capture it. Capture your stories, not your testimonials, not your case studies, your stories your stories of intervention, your stories of improvement creation, capture them and publish them. That's number one. The second thing I want them to do is I want them to think about three clients, existing clients right now, who if that CPA puts their hand on their heart, they can say, I can help that client an awful lot more than we currently are doing. We can provide far more support. We can accelerate their goals if we would just be able to do this for them. If we'd just be able to do the, the personal portfolio work, if we'd just be able to do the forecast for them, if we'd just let us do the management accounts for them, if they'd just let us migrate them to the cloud, whatever it happens to be. And I want the, I want three meetings set up. Three meetings set up with three existing clients where the agenda is nothing more than, hi, how are you doing? And let the conversation evolve from there. And as the, because accountants always think they need to know the answers. They don't, they need to know the questions. What's going on right now? How do you feel about that? Are you on track? What does that mean to you? What's the consequence of this not happening? The questions. Let the clients answer the questions because when they answer the questions, the needs will self-identify and the accountant is then saying, well, would you like us to provide some, uh, some proposal support there? We can help with that. Would you like us to outline some options for you? I can have it on your desk in 48 hours. You know, that's the second thing. I want them to, to, to identify three clients hand on heart, not ones you can rip off, hand on heart you can help more than you currently do, set up meetings with no agenda. That's the second thing. The third thing 
is I want them to keep their eye on their email inbox, Tom, for when you and I launch the masterclass date, where they can find the better way of life as a CPA uh, by working to the particular formula that, uh, that we teach and that has proven to work for however many decades it is now with CPAs. Keep their eye on that email. Don't class that one as spam and register their interest when the time comes and see if it's the right fit for them. If it's the right fit for them, they'll be very, very welcome to join us. Those three things, Tom, is what they should be doing right now. No, I, I, I love that. Those are very actionable items. Um, I certainly believe that we, we, uh, we, we create with our mind, not with our hands. And right. that's really, I mean, even if you look at the great artists of all time, they created with their mind, they saw it, and then their hands were able to do it, but they right. had to see it first. And so right. we have to see it first. We And we see it through transformational education. And that's really how we see it. We need somebody else, somebody on the outside to help us. And this is what you're talking about with what you and I are doing. You need somebody on the outside to say, there's a different way to look at this. Okay. Yeah. There's a different way to see this where you can go, oh, and that light bulb goes on and all of a sudden it's not that you can't do it. It's that you don't know what it is you need to do or you don't know how to do it. So you, you don't realize even, you may not even realize that there's a problem. And then all of a sudden, I mean, the reason Rich Dad, Poor Dad, good example, my, my, my buddy, Robert Kiyosaki, um, the reason that book has sold 40 million copies, okay? Number one book of all time in the financial personal finance industry is because not because there's a how-to, there's no how-to in it, but it yeah. is so transformational. So, oh, so when people come up to Robert, and I've been with Robert in Kyrgyzstan and Kazakhstan and in, in Moscow, I've been with him in, in Asia and Australia. I've literally been with him all over the world. And they come up to him on the street and they say, you changed my life. And I'm going, well, what changed? And it was simply the idea that there's a different way and that it's a different way to think about it. And so when we change the way we think, you know, it really is think and grow rich, right? I mean, it really right. is think and grow rich. If we change the way we think, we can change the way we behave. But until we change the way we think, we can't change the way we be, be, behave. And when we change the way we think, when we get that education, that transformational education, we're always going to have better clients, a better practice, and a better life. We'll see you all next yes, time. Sir. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.